talking about the Netflix film The Pale Blue Eye with Christian Bale and Harry Melling, the buzz in Hollywood over AMC Cinemas changing their price structure to charge more for better seats, and a recap on who's been nominated for the Oscars. So, let's get into it! to another episode of Film Folly, where we talk about the emotional journey we take when watching movies, whether happy, sad, exciting, scary, thrilling, or heartwarming. A film is always an experience, and we're here to talk about it. So, our featured film this week is The Pale Blue Eye on Netflix, starring Christian Bale as August Landor, Harry Melling as Edgar Allan Poe, Lucy Boyenton as Leah Marquis, Gillian Anderson as Mrs. Julia Marquis, Robert Duvall as John Pepe, Timothy Spall as the superintendent, Toby Jones as Daniel Marquis, and Simon McBurney, Captain Hitchcock. A little synopsis of what the movie is about takes place in West Point in 1830. In the early hours of a gray winter morning, a cadet is found dead. After the body arrives at the morgue, tragedy becomes savagery when it's discovered that the young man's heart has been skillfully removed. Fearing irreparable damage to the fledgling military academy, its leaders turn to a local detective, August Landor, to solve the murder played by Christian Bale. Stymied by the cadet's code of silence, Landor enlists the help of one of their own to pursue the case. An eccentric cadet with a disdain for the rigors of the military and a penchant for poetry, a young man named Edgar Allan Poe. So just by reading the description of the movie, this movie's kind of giving me Jack the Ripper vibes and Sherlock Holmes vibes, kind of a gothic drama story set in the 1800s. So I love me a period drama, especially set in the 1800s. So this is definitely a classified as a thriller, a mystery thriller. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's giving me um, really great gothic drama movie vibes. So we will, I'm about to watch it. It's a Saturday night. No Friday wine day today. That was yesterday. So you guys missed out on the wine yesterday. But um, I'm all cozied up on my couch and ready to watch the movie. So we'll get into it. The film opens with a poem from Edgar Allan Poe. And it states, The boundaries which divide life from death are at best shadowy and vague. Who shall say where the one ends and where the other begins? The opening image shows uh, eerie music, kind of black and white. It's really giving me the creepy vibes and mysterious vibes all at once. The title of the movie is presented uh, with a backdrop images of a river during winter time with snow and the trees have snow on them and across the screen uh, it intros the title of the film the pale blue eye in blood red script so giving me drama loving it so far at the beginning of the movie, we learn a little bit more about the main character, Augustus Landor. We learn that he is a widower 
And his daughter has apparently, quote, ran off or disappeared somehow. It's a little bit of a mystery in the beginning of the film. And he's asked to be the investigator of this murder that's occurred at this military academy for young men. He seems pretty reluctant to help in the investigation. Uh, There seems to be a lot more to him than what meets the eye. And as the movie goes on, we definitely learn more about that. So this military academy school for young boys is, or young men, I should say, is apparently a place where young men become gentlemen and soldiers. Keep in mind, again, this is in the 1800s. So they bring Landor to the scene of the crime where the body was found of a young man who was in the military academy. He has been hung, and the circumstances seem pretty grim. They give details, and they do examinations of the body, um, and it gets a little graphic, especially with the examinations of the body. So if you're a little squeamish, it's uh, you might have to maybe opt out of this first part of the movie, at least. There's one odd thing about the, the body um, and how it was found was that the heart was removed. They're trying to figure out what is the purpose of, you know, why the heart was removed. They do further experiments on the body in order to gather more information. They test for certain bruising and they get some information, but it, it's still really unclear. And there's so many more questions than answers at this point. So off the, the investigation goes and Landor then continues to question people, get more information from other students at the academy and Captain Hitchcock um, eventually sets some ground rules with Landor. And apparently he forbids any drinking uh, by Landor because his, quote, reputation precedes him. Apparently giving a, a little bit of a backstory of Landor and maybe a little too heavy on the alcohol. As he's questioning some of the young men, at the academy, he seems most intrigued by one of the uh, academy students in particular, uh, and that is Edgar Allan Poe, who seems to talk elegantly about his theories of the murder. He seems very excited to, you know, lend theories and details and thoughts about the, the murder I love the tavern scene at the beginning of the film where Landor first talks with Poe. After Poe has had a few drinks, he's all, he's feeling a little tipsy. Uh, Poe kind of describes himself as someone who is, he's barely noticed to be a participant at the Academy. And because of that, he kind of has a different perspective, a more observant perspective of people at the Academy. He's able to slide under the radar in a lot of cases. He kind of goes on to say that he feels like he is a type of outcast in a way. He doesn't seem to have any friends at the academy. There's no one that you really see him with until a little later uh, in the the film. So we'll definitely talk about that more as that comes up. There's a purpose as to why he seems to get friendly with some of the um, the other students there. He wants to try and infiltrate their friend group, uh, so to speak, and uh, get additional information. But again, that's later on in the film. The actor who plays Edgar Allan Poe, is, his name is, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, his name is uh, Harry Melling. He does a really fantastic job portraying Uh, Poe as a kind of likable, eclectic outcast who has a kind of a dark intrigue, yet he's very lovable at the same time. And I love the the mannerisms that um, the actor Harry Milling does. He 
you really, we all have this kind of idea of what Edgar Allan Poe might be. You know, we've all seen pictures of him uh, in history and, you know, many of us or some of us have read some of his poetry. And so we kind of have this preconceived idea of what he might actually be like in real life. And so I think uh, Harry really uh, embodies those ideas. Although he does take a bit more of a, a spin that some people might not expect, and he makes him out to be a very likable character, almost kind of jovial in some circumstances, which is not something that uh, you would guess would be uh, a trait of Edgar Allan Poe, but it works seamlessly, and uh, he does a really Harry does a really great job uh, acting as Edgar Allan Poe. As the film goes on and Landor continues to investigate, uh, he finds a buddy, so to speak, uh, with uh, Poe, and um, he Edgar Allan Poe almost seems like um, Landor's shadow in a way. He's kind of tagging along in certain circumstances, discussing details of the case and ideas with Landor, and almost Landor kind of becomes almost like a mentor to him. Poe asks him questions and tries to understand uh, Landor's process of investigating and things like that. Landor seems to find him pretty amusing and seems to enjoy Poe's company while he's doing his investigation and the banter that he has with Poe. However, there's one point in the film where I'm, you know, I'm wondering if Landor has employed Poe's assistance with this investigation to keep him close because he suspects him or if he purely just finds his insights helpful. So that was a question that came up to me while I was watching the the film. I was kind of like, oh, okay, is he keeping him close because he suspects him or does he legitimately find him um, helpful and a way of getting additional information that he might not get with his own investigation. So Landor does ask Poe to continue the journey of his investigation with him and employs him in a sense, although he tells him, you know, there's obviously no pay. This is a volunteer basis, um, but I would like to employ you. And it would be of a covert nature in order to get information from um, people at the military academy, fellow students that he might be able to get close to. Poe is obviously very excited about this and uh, sees this as a really intriguing opportunity. And he brings a lot of vigor to thinking of theories and evidence and things like that. He has kind of a beautiful madness about him that Harry Melling does a really great job. And Poe ends up telling Landor that he claims he's written a poem dictated to him by his dead mother. And he talks about how he was very close to his mother and his mother seemed to mean a lot to him. And I thought that was a really intriguing detail. It really humanizes uh, the character and historical figure of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, so I thought it was really, really lovely um, how he brings up his mother um, a few times in the film. So as the investigation moves on and on, they end up finding mutilated animals. There ends up being another murder. Um, the heart seems to be removed from the, the animals as well as the other, um, the second student who ends up getting murdered in the same manner as the first murder. However, um, there's details that differ from the, the first murder to the second murder of the student. And it almost seems more sloppy in the way in which the heart was removed. So, it's uh when I was you know when I was watching the film I was kind of thinking this almost seems like a copycat in a way because it has all the details of the first murder but there's differences 
So that uh, really stirs up everyone at the academy. The superintendent puts a lot more pressure on him, on Landor, to um, get more evidence and make progress on the case. Later, Landor finds a, a ceremonial occult ritual found in the ice house. He guesses the heart was used in a ritual. In the recipe for that ritual, he ends up um, going to a fellow town person um, by the name of Jean Pepe, uh, played by Robert Duvall, who seems to have a lot of occult books and uh, books of research and things of that nature. And Landor figures out that the ritual um, in particular that was performed there, the recipe for that ritual required a hanged man's heart, which seems very specific, but <laughs> that's what that's what they discover. So Landor then asks Poe to infiltrate the cadets to find out who is interested in the cult and if there's any evidence um, that he can gather uh, by getting close to some of the cadets. Poe gets accepted into a group of cadets who seem to be pretty shifty and always holding back in conversations, giving the feel that they are probably hiding something. It kind of made me think like, oh, okay, is this group of guys he's kind of infiltrated with, are they a part of some kind of secret society? You know, that was kind of prominent in a lot of colleges and things throughout history. You find these secret societies being formed in, on campuses and, um, and whatnot. So that was something that came to my mind, at least, uh, when I was watching it. So that was a question that popped up. As Poe has kind of infiltrated this group of cadets, he becomes really friendly with one of the sisters of the cadets, and her name is Leah Marquis. And I think in the beginning of my intro, when I was introducing a lot of the actors and characters, I pronounced the last name as Marquis. But in the film, they pronounce uh, the last name as Marquis. So I'll continue by uh, referring to, you know, how they refer to the last name pronunciation in the film. So we have Lucy uh, Boynton, as, uh, who's playing Leah uh, Marquis, and she is brothers with uh, one of the cadets that is in the group that Poe has infiltrated. And uh, we're also introduced to Gillian Anderson's character, Mrs. Julia Mar Marquis, who is the wife of Daniel Marquis, who is the, the doctor at the academy and has been helping with the experiments that Landor was doing at the beginning of the, the film uh, with the body trying to uncover any details or clues um, that he could find on the body. And the the doctor, uh, Daniel Marquis, is throughout the film. Is that all the scenes where, you know, death pops up or injuries pop up or things like that? Poe ends up spending more and more time with the group of cadets that he has infiltrated and uh, is spending more and more time with Leah Marquis and you can tell that he's really starting to fall in love with her and she is taking a, a liking to him as well. You can tell that he seems to understand her and she is holding back, you can tell in the film. She seems to have a sense of knowing and a sense of experiences that she has lived that has brought her thoughts to a, uh, a darker place at times. She ends up having a uh, medical seizure in front of Poe um, as they're walking in the snow, getting to know each other and enjoying each other's company and uh, starts convulsing on the ground. And Poe is uh, obviously 
very worried and trying to figure out what to do. And then she, she comes to and says to Poe that that it happens from time to time. It's something that, that she's used to. And so we learn then that Leah um, has a medical condition that has her suffering from seizures. And we start to kind of learn now, you know, why she seems to have this kind of darker tone to her. You see Edgar Allan Poe enchanted by her flaws. He seems to fall in love with her for everything that she is, despite also having a uh, medical condition. And especially back in the 1800s, you know, women who had uh, medical conditions and things of that nature weren't seen as viable matches um, or marrying material or things of that nature. So it's it's really sweet that you see Poe during, especially during this time period, falling deeper and deeper in love with her despite some of her ailments. And one of the cadets that was in the group that uh, Poe had infiltrated, you can tell that he starts to get uh, jealous of the relationship that Poe and Leah have. And he ends up attacking Poe at night as he's making his rounds of the the grounds and starts uh, really beating up Poe. And you wonder if he's actually trying to kill Poe. Luckily, Landor uh, comes upon them and he fights off the other cadet that has um, attacked Poe and chews him off. And then we find out later that uh, the cadet that attacked Poe is the second victim that I mentioned previously and is the second victim that ends up getting hanged, his heart removed in the same manner as the, the first victim. And so people start to kind of wonder, hmm, I wonder if Poe has anything to do with this. You kind of hear that from the superintendent and Captain Hitchcock, and they're bringing this up with Landor. And Landor doesn't believe it, tells them that he doesn't have any evidence that points to Poe at this point. And the cadet that attacked Poe and was jealous of Poe and his relationship with Leah is, uh, his name is Mr. Berenger, and he is the one who has found the second victim that is found hung. Hanged? That is found hanged. One or the other. A memorable scene uh, shortly after the attack and uh, the second victim being found. There's a scene in the tavern, once again, where Poe and Landor are having drinks. Poe asks Landor about his career and his reputation and if it was true that he, quote, elicited a confession with nothing more than a piercing look, end quote. Uh, Lander replies by saying he, you can tell that he gets a little tickled about this question, starts to smile and smirk. And Lander replies by saying, quote, with enough patience, a suspect will often interrogate himself, end quote. I love this line so much, probably because it's so true in many respects. Later in the film, uh, Landor seems to start having doubts about Poe. He finds out from the superintendent and Captain Hitchcock that Poe actually had encounters with the two previous victims, and Poe had lied about it. Apparently, there were threatening words that Poe had said to both of the murder victims prior to their deaths. And Landor confronts Poe about this information and is visibly upset and agitated. Uh, Poe admits that they wronged him and he was angry and said, you know, harsh words to them, but he didn't murder them. Landor then proceeds to continue to confront him and say, people who wrong you seem to have a habit of dying. And Poe explains he has been bullied from nearly everyone at the academy for how he looks and how he acts for the entire time he's been at the, the academy. 
if he would harm everyone who had done him wrong in some way, there wouldn't be nearly anyone left. I felt like this scene was a touching, um, hard scene. Since we discover Poe has been maliciously bullied by nearly every cadet at the academy, and something tells me that the instructors and the the superintendent and uh, Captain Hitchcock probably didn't do anything to really stop this kind of act bullying activity towards Poe. And so Poe has just had to live with it. And he's telling Landor this and there's tears going down his face, quiet tears of sadness. It's, it's a touching scene and it's, it's sad. And it really makes you feel for him and how lonely that would feel. I Being bullied by everyone at the school, pretty much, that would be a incredibly lonely place. So I thought that was a, also another memorable scene to mention. Landor ends up being invited to the Dr. Daniel Marquis, uh, his house with his daughter, Leah, Leia, and his wife and son. Landor is invited to uh, the doctor's study and they talk and and whatnot and you start to realize that Landor is kind of seeing these details in his study that are odd. He starts kind of seeing symbolism of possible occult activity. It's very subtle um, but he goes and he confirms what he saw with uh, Jean Pepe and um, does research in his library uh, where he has a lot of occult information and uh, documentation and things like that. And he ends up learning that those symbols that he was seeing were Satanist uh, symbology. So he goes back to the house to confront uh, the doctor and he ends up finding out that uh, in order to save Leia from in order to save Leia from her illness, they have the entire family has turned to devil worship uh, rituals, where they have been taking organs for their rituals, in particular the heart of the first victim. But Poe has fallen deeply in love with Leia. And she ends up convincing him through what seems like, I don't know, uh, Poe seems to be kind of out of it. And I'm wondering if at dinner earlier that evening, if Poe was drugged at some point because she ends up convincing him to participate in one of their um, satanic rituals. And they tie up Poe. Um, in the basement to perform this ritual. You know, Poe seems kind of out of it. He doesn't, seems to only have eyes for Leia, but he seems very dazed and not really knowing what's going on at the same time. And Poe ends up agreeing to be her sacrifice. And she says it's the ultimate symbol of love in order to set her free. Presumably from her illness, this ritual is, this ritual is the last ritual to cure her illness once and for all. And it appears as though they are going to indeed use Poe as a sacrifice, but Landor uh, stops it right in the nick of time, of course, with any movie, you know, to save Poe. A fight ensues with Landor and the son trying to protect the ritual and the mother, you know, played by Jillian Anderson. uh, She is also involved in the ritual. The only person that's not involved in this ritual is the doctor. And it seems as though he knows what's going on, but he has just turned a blind eye to the whole thing so he can have plausible deniability. So yeah, it it seems to be the brother, uh, Leia and the mother Um, who are participating in this ritual. Landor uh, is fighting with the brother. He pushes him away towards the candles and somehow um, a fire ensues. Landor is able to um, get Poe and grabs the mother. But uh, before he can kind of get to 
Leia and the brother, you know, at this point, a raging fire has been going on and a beam from the house uh, ends up falling and crushing the two of them and they uh, go up in smoke and flames. And the son and Leia die in the fire. We cut to later Landor talking at the hospital uh, with the doctor because Poe is in the recovering in the hospital and uh, Landor uh, ends up talking to uh, Captain Hitchcock and uh, Hitchcock apologizes for insulting Landor's intelligence and for doubting him and his capabilities of investigation and he appears to be uh, genuinely grateful to Landor. Landor ends up being relieved from his uh, contractual obligations for solving the crime. That kind of detail as far as his contractual obligations is a little murky. I don't quite understand, and maybe this is just me having missed the detail, why he was under some kind of contractual obligation to be the investigator for for the the crimes that were being uh conducted um and the murders and things like that but yeah he seemed to have been in, under some kind of contractual obligation and and throughout this film we have seen that Augustus Landor seems to have a heavy weight on his shoulders there's something up with him there's something secretive about him He has some family flashbacks throughout the film, in particular of his daughter. I think there's a scene that we see him praying and he has a sash that is presumably from his daughter. And then later, once um, Poe has been recovered, um, Edgar Allan Poe ends up um, visiting Landor at his home with a very long face. You can tell... He's emotionally drained from everything that he's gone through uh, with Leia and the investigation. And he ends up confronting Landor. And, you know, Poe has had a lot of theories throughout the the film, you know, that he's talked about with Landor and has been such an integral um, part of the investigation. He ends up confronting Landor about the two murders and accuses Landor of being the murderers. That's kind of the twist at the end of this film. And once he's been con- uh, confronted by Poe about this, uh, Landor has a flashback of his daughter. And we find his daughter looks to be about 15 or 16, possibly. And we find out that his daughter, unfortunately, was raped by two cadets. And she ends up killing herself by jumping off of a cliff. Uh, Landor ends up killing the two men who did this to her, which was the two murder victims who were hanged. You know, we have that opening scene in the beginning, you know, the first uh, murder of the, the hanged victim, which is the whole reason why Landor was called to investigate Actually, he was the person who had killed uh, that first victim. Um, Not only that, but he also killed the second victim. So Lander's daughter was raped, and the trauma she endured led her to commit suicide. Her father killed the two people who did this to her and utilized the details learned about the Satanists as his cover. So it was kind of a coincidence that with the first victim, the Satanists had come upon the dead body first before anyone else, and they utilized the the heart in the first victim who was hung. So Landor, you know, learning these details about the Satanists and that there was another group, he really utilized that. Uh, for his cover. The second victim, he tried to mimic the removal of the heart, and it was obviously done in a different style as they had found in the investigation. It wasn't as clean cut as the first victim, so he was able to strategically utilize those details to cover up his uh, murders. 
of the two men who had raped his daughter. So to me, this really kind of speaks to uh, vigilante justice in a lot of ways. You know, and it it asks the question, at least in my mind, and my takeaway from the, the film is that, is this justifiable vengeance? It toys with the idea of right and wrong and what justice looks like, especially in this time period. You know, in the 1800s, there was no justice for women that were raped. Often they were the ones blamed for, for the rape and almost never the men. Maybe in certain circles, it may have been looked down upon for a man to rape a woman during the, this time period. But there was no punishment at all uh, for men who did this to, to women. It kind of confronts you with the question, what would you do? If you were a person living in this time period, let's say you were a father or a parent and your child was raped, whether male or female, what would you do? There's no justice for a person who is violated in that way during this time period. So then I ask the question then, is this justified? Is this justifiable vengeance? It's interesting to think about. It really leaves the audience to decide in the end. And as Poe is confronting him, Landor tells him, you know, he's ready. He's ready to be turned in. He's ready to pay the price of being turned in in order to have killed the the people who did this to his daughter. And he, Landor hands Poe a written confession you know, to signify, yeah, he's ready to be turned in and to pay the price for these crimes of of murder that he's committed uh, against these two people. And he hands that letter to Poe. And Poe, you can tell, you know, he stares at it. He doesn't open it and he doesn't read it, but it's implied that it's his confession. And Poe is quiet in his thoughts and he starts to, to leave to head towards the door and leave uh, Landor's home. Before he leaves, he pauses, and there's a candle sitting off to the side near the door, and he decides to burn the letter. And that kind of signifies that he will not be turning Landor in, and he leaves. You get the sense that the two of them have an understanding, and... Poe is deeply saddened that uh, Landor, you know, his idea of Landor being this uh, investigator um, who he has kind of put up on a pedestal is now tarnished. And you get the sense that Poe and Landor will, will not continue their friendship. They will not be colleagues in any way. And Poe leaves uh, with a very long face. Um, but decides not to turn Landor in. So that's how it ends. I like a lot of the themes that it explores in the film, and it's really intriguing. The pace of the movie is slow, which I don't, I don't usually mind at all, uh, especially when the character development is enticing and the story has pulled you in. But some of the themes seem a little clunky or disjointed from the overall story. Some of them just don't feel like they, some of the scenes just don't feel like they belong. And that kind of created some confusion. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, there were some aspects of the narrative that I I was a little confused about and didn't either, it was just me who missed those details or maybe the, the writing wasn't conveying those details well enough for the movie. Overall, the critics on Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 63%, and regular audiences gave it a 70%. I personally disagree with the critics about the 63%. I definitely think it deserves higher than 63%. So yeah, come on now, critics. Don't be so harsh. I feel like the performances are really great. The production and cinematography is, is beautifully gothic. And I like the twist at the end. 
I didn't see that one coming. I knew, you know, with the flashbacks he was having with his daughter throughout the film, something was was going to happen. But, um, you know, you don't see the end of the flashbacks where, unfortunately, she committed suicide. And um, so you really don't get that narrative until the very end. The journey throughout the film is a little disjointed, as I mentioned before, but it is still entertaining as far as the mystery is concerned, the whodunit aspect of the film. You're trying to observe all these details. The actors in the film really do a great job of conveying mystery and emotion, and uh, especially by the actor who played Edgar Allan Poe. I think his character is so dynamic. He did a wonderful job and it really just, you know, you want to see the the end of the film. You want to know what happens. Uh, definitely worth seeing. It, if you like murder mystery, if you like a gothic noir film and it it also, the, the way the cinematography was shot and everything like that, it really kind of reminded me of the movie Sleepy Hollow with Christina Ritchie and Johnny Depp, it really has that feel to to the film. Uh, obviously different uh, a little bit, but I definitely think it's worth a watch. And it's definitely worth way more than 63% critics. So uh, like I said, audiences gave it a 70%. And uh, I think that's a little bit more fair. Um, I would say, me personally, I would give it a 75%. Uh, obviously, that's not that much off. But um, I, you know, I would recommend it to people who enjoy murder mysteries and things of that nature. So uh, definitely, you know, I'm hoping that you had watched this, uh, watched the film before uh, listening to my recap and uh, my reactions to the film and the themes that uh, I talked about here. So let me know what you guys think. I'm really curious to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, film Folly now has an Instagram. And with every episode that comes out for Film Folly, I do a post of, you know, what's going to be talked about as far as the film um, and Hollywood news and anything along those lines. And so if you've listened to the podcast and you want to give your thoughts there, um, feel free to comment on, on my Instagram uh, for Film Folly Podcast. It's just at Film Folly Podcast. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys. And of course, as always, you can email me or send me a voice memo through email. And that is filmfollypodcast at gmail.com. And if you send me a voice memo, I can play it on the show and, um, you know, have some reactions to um, what you thought and you can participate in the show. And now it's time for Hollywood news. So as I mentioned last week on the podcast, we were going to go over some Oscar nominations and just review um, who's nominated for what. I'm not going to go over every single category because there's you know, a number of categories, but I'm going to go through quite a lot. You know, this will give you an idea of who's nominated, what films to look out for, you know, who's your favorite to win. Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I actually currently have a poll on Instagram, as I mentioned before, um, Film Folly podcast has an Instagram. And right now I have a poll up on Instagram. It's a uh, the film awards season, love it or leave it. You know, there's been kind of some talk over the years as to whether or not these film awards should be really given as much attention as they are. And I personally think they're really fun. Um, you know, there's a lot of drama that has happened over the years with them. And I'm particularly not here for any of the drama, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I do enjoy um, seeing who gets nominated, what actors are are being recognized for their parts, and what films are up for, you know, Oscars and Critics' Choice Awards, Golden Globes, and I I enjoy it. I I like being able to kind of root for a film or an actor. But I'm curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are. 
uh, film award season, love it or leave it on Instagram is um, my poll that I have here. Leave a comment. Um, I give three categories. So A, I love watching and hearing all about them. B, I'm interested to hear about the nominations and winners, but I don't usually watch. C, forget about the awards. I'm all about the fashion. And D, I find them annoying and overrated. (laughs) So yeah, let me know what you think. Leave a comment uh, of what poll selection you want, A, B, C, or D. And you can, of course, elaborate in your comment. And uh, yeah, again, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Okay, so moving on to the nominations for the Oscars this year. First up, the nominations for Actor in a Leading Role, Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inner Sharon, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Mescal for After Sun, Bill Nye for Living. Actor in a Supporting Role, nominee Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inner Sharon, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Cogan for The Banshees of Inner Sharon. I'm hoping I pronounced his last name right. I apologize if I didn't. Kihu Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Nominees for Actress in a Leading Role is Kate Blanchett for Tar, Ana de Armas for Blonde, Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie. Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Actress in a Supporting Role. The nominees, Angela Bassett for Black Panther in Wakanda Forever. Hong Chow in The Whale. Carrie Condon, The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Stephanie Su, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Costume Design. The nominees, Babylon. Mary Zofries, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Ruth Carter, Elvis, Catherine Martin, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Shirley Kirata, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Jenny Beaven, the nominees for Best Directing, The Banshees of Inner Sharon, Martin McDonough, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg. Tar, Todd Field. Triangle of Sadness, Ruben Ostenlund. The nominees for Best Picture. All Quiet on the Western Front. Avatar, The Way of Water. The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Elvis. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. The Fablemans. Tar. Top Gun Maverick. Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. The nominees for Best Visual Effects, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Top Gun Maverick. And the last one I was going to mention today is Writing, Original Screenplay, The Nominees, The Banshees of Inner Sharon, written by Martin McDonough. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, written by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. The Fablemans, written by Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner. Tar, written by Todd Field. Triangle of Sadness, written by Ruben Ostland. So let me know what you think. Who's your favorites? I'm probably going to do another poll. Um, maybe I'll do a poll for best picture or, um, best actor and best actress. Uh, we'll see. Cause I love to hear what the audience thinks. Uh, you know, these are, this is the Academy gets to choose this. So I'm always curious what, uh, you know, regular audience viewers think about who should win for these awards. Uh, So keep an eye out on any Instagram posts and uh, that way you can participate in the poll. So the last thing I wanted to go over, there was some news about AMC theaters are changing their pricing structure. And I'm curious if you guys heard about this. AMC theaters to charge more for better seats and less for front row. And a lot of people seem to have some pretty strong thoughts about this. I know theaters are struggling right now. 
Um, people just aren't going, especially after COVID. Um, it was really nice to, I, I have been to the theater several times, but after COVID, when things started opening up a little bit more, it was really nice to see people out at the theaters. But as I talked about in my previous episode about inflation and how that affects people and their purchasing, uh, people are a lot more choosy on what movies they want to spend their money on when they go to the theater. I personally think that people want to see films in the theater that they feel is going to be kind of an epic, immersive experience. So sadly, I feel like some of the more independent films or stories are not these epic world-building films are sadly not doing as well in theaters. So theaters are really hurting these days because of streaming and how easy it is. And a lot of people will just wait until something is available to stream uh, from their homes. Especially if they are subscribed to all of these streaming platforms. You know, why pay even more money to go see a film in the theaters when you know you already pay for a subscription where that film is going to eventually be launched on. So with current inflation, you know, people are being a little bit smarter with how they spend their money on entertainment. And I think this is not... um, great news for theaters and AMC theaters have um, decided to change their charging structure. And I'm referencing a lot of these details um, here about AMC and I'll put the link in the the show notes and description here. But uh, New York Times came out with an article about it. The headline or the sub headline says here that by the end of 2023, the movie theater chain AMC will offer tickets at three different price tiers with middle seats costing the most and you'll pay less for the front row. And I know personally, me, I cannot sit in the front row. I get like there's just, it's just too much for my eyes. I get nauseous, (laughs) you know, it's, it hurts your neck. It's uh, not, not the greatest experience (laughs) I've had, um, you know, back in the day, this was a while ago, but I've had a couple experiences where I got to the the movie late, which I absolutely hate because I love to see the previews. But uh, yeah, I ended up having to sit in front row with some friends and I was just like, ugh. Like I loved the, one of them in particular was um, Silver Lining Playbook. Um, I saw that in the theater, loved the film, loved, loved, loved it. But we got there late and I, we had to sit up front and I just, oh, I had, I think, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if I saw that for a second time in the theater, which is very rare for me. I almost never see anything twice in the theater. Um, there's of course been exceptions over the years, but uh yeah anyway so it is not a fun experience for me to sit in front row maybe other people do so for me um my thoughts on this are I don't know how well this is going to go over for AMC I know the consensus on social media is that people are really unhappy about this Elijah Wood has spoken out about it, and on his Twitter, he says, quote, The movie theater is and always has been a sacred democratic space for all, and this new initiative by AMC Theaters would essentially penalize people for lower income and reward for higher income, end quote. So my thoughts on this are, sadly, I understand the reason why AMC Theaters are changing their pricing structure because audiences have been so few and far between compared to, you know, 10 years ago. It has slowly been less and less over the years, especially with streaming services, as I mentioned before. I don't think this is going to work for them in the long run. People are being much more choosy with how they spend their money and how they spend it on entertainment. I think most people are going to see this. Their reaction to it is just going to be, well, Once again, if I really, really want to see something in the theaters, 
I'll go. But for the most part, I think most people are just going to, that's going to solidify them to watch more and more things at home if it is increasingly going to be more more and more expensive to go to the theater. And sadly, I, I feel like theaters are in a really big pickle right now because they need to be able to recoup some of the lost money that they've had. I know a lot of them, I think Regal has gone, um, filed for bankruptcy. And if people aren't going to the theaters like they used to, we're going to be seeing a lot more theaters shutting down. And they're going to be a lot fewer and far between than we have been used to over the years. So I understand why they're doing this. They're trying to stay afloat, especially in these times. But I just don't think it's going to work for them. Which is really sad because I have a lot of wonderful memories of going to the theater. My very, One of my um, first memories I have was my mom taking me to see Beauty and the Beast, the Disney movie Beauty and the Beast, in the theaters. And I remember just that whole experience of being in the theater and watching the uh, Beauty and the Beast for the first time. And how it was such a magical experience. You know, you're in this dark room, you're going on this adventure, you're being immersed into the movie. And it just seems like such a wonderful, fantastical journey, especially for a little kid. You know, this was one of my first uh, movie experiences in, in the theaters. And it, it has stuck with me for many, many, many years. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts of your very first movie theater experience as, as a child. What was the very first uh, movie or film you saw in theaters as a kid that you can remember? Um, I'm sure, I was thinking to myself, I'm sure I saw, I must have seen a film in a cinema prior to Beauty and the Beast, but I honestly don't remember it. So my first memory is seeing Beauty and the Beast in the theaters. And it was, I loved it. My mom loved it. (laughs) And we actually went for a second time. (laughs) So we went twice to go see Beauty and the Beast in theaters. And uh, that used to be a big thing back in the day. People would see um, films in the cinemas more than one time. I remember seeing Iron Man for the very first time with my friend and we loved it so much we went and saw it a second time and like I said previously I almost never see anything twice in a theater so it has to be pretty fantastic to see it twice in a theater but uh especially as an adult you know I'm like okay do I want to spend money on uh (laughs) to see something I've already seen in the theater but uh yeah so it's it's sad for me to see the theaters struggling right now i hope that there's something we can do in order to keep this alive cuz i know that when video stores all started shutting down i oh man that was also a very nostalgic place for me i loved going to the video store we went every single week sometimes multiple times a week that was our primary form when I was growing up of entertainment was to rent movies and then we would occasionally go to the theater. But yeah, so it's, I really, really hope that uh, cinemas do not fall by the wayside and become extinct because that would be, that would be heart-wrenching. There is definitely an experience you get in a cinema that you don't get at home. Now, I love watching movies at home. That's primarily where I watch them. I love watching TV, obviously, at home. But um, you get a different experience in a theater. And there's it's a community experience. You're all experiencing this all together. You're going on this journey. It just feels different. And I, I feel like we shouldn't lose that. And so I hope that, you know, theaters, again, can stay afloat. And they, I sadly, I feel like some of them will close, but I hope they just, I hope they all don't go away. We need to have access to cinemas because it's a wonderful community experience. 
let me know what your first memories of seeing a film in a cinema were. I'd love to hear about it. Also for the next episode of Film Folly, we'll be talking about the film The Woman King, starring Viola Davis. And that was recently released on Netflix, so check it out, and I'll be chatting about that next week. And with that, I will leave you for today, and I thank you so much for listening, my friends. I really appreciate it. Again, um, my Instagram, at Film Folly Podcast. Uh, check it out, and some of the polls that will be listed there, the episode uh, posting uh, will be there. Leave some comments. Again, if you'd like to contact me, it's filmfollypodcast at gmail.com. Send me an email or a voice memo, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. So thank you once again. Take care. Thank you.